Welcome everyone to the Transforming Your Life podcast with Dr. Malika. I am so excited about this new venture and I'm glad you took the time to join me for our very first episode for January the 15th, 2019. And as I mentioned, this is a brand new podcast launching this year. And I had a list of things I wanted to start off with for the rest of January going through the rest of the year and recent events made me decide to make a change. Um, Many of you are probably familiar with the case with the R&B singer R. Kelly uh, docuseries just recently released last week called Surviving R. Kelly. And it went through and started to chronicle a history of sexual abuse, specifically against minor children. And it also gave us an insight into his background becoming who he is as the artist. And I thought that this was necessary because it highlighted a variety of things that I saw that was necessary to talk about specifically in the African-American community, but also could be applied to the church community as well. And issues that we don't always pay attention to or acknowledge. And I thought that this would be a perfect opportunity for us to get into a real conversation off the top about something that needs to be addressed and we need to stop walking around and sweeping under the rug. So I hope this first episode will be more than just provocative, but it'll cause you to think and hopefully make some changes in your own life. And I look forward to discussing that with you in this episode titled Creating R. Kelly. Welcome back to the podcast. So hopefully you were able to listen to that introduction and we're going to get right into it. There's some statistics that I wanted to highlight that I feel like are applicable to this particular topic and this particular issue that we're going to be addressing today surrounding the whole R. Kelly situation. Um, African-Americans make up 13.3% of the American population and We're a very culturally diverse community. Um, We have those who are obviously born here in the United States, as well as immigrants from African nations, the Caribbean, Central America, and other countries. But amongst African-Americans, 27% of them live below the poverty line compared to only 10% of non-white Hispanics. And the reason why I feel like this is important, and I'm gonna add this other statistic before I tell you the importance of that, 30% of African-American households are headed by a woman with no husband present. And the reason why those last two statistics are very important is because these particular characteristics are a pattern that we found with the young ladies that were in the docuseries Surviving R. Kelly. A lot of them came from communities and homes that were impoverished or were living from paycheck to paycheck and then also homes that there was only um, a mother present. Now that was not entirely all of them because we said 30% of African-American households, that's the demographic. So you did see um, parents, a mother and a father for some of the alleged victims in the docu-series. But these two particular things I think are characteristics that are important to look at because when there's financial issues and there's not always a clear definitive 
male presence in the household, it's a little bit easier for young ladies to fall victim to situations like this. And they're looking for a way to get to a better life, to live better, to help their mother, their mother or father, whoever the parent is that's raising them. And a lot of these girls got into the situation trying to get into the show business. And so this is important to look at what our demographics are and how we operate as a community um, in general. There's some other things about our community that I think it's also applicable to this particular situation. The way we seek mental health services. We do not get diagnosed with mental illness or any other mental health challenges at a greater um, percentage than other populations. It's very similar to other populations. The disparity is how we actually seek services and treatment for these particular issues. One in three African-Americans who need mental health care actually receive it. Now there are a variety of reasons as to why. Some of it is not having access to actual health care coverage. Some of it is not having adequate health care coverage. Another part of this is also not getting culturally competent health care coverage or services. So you are going to see a provider, but they're not providing the services that are adequate for you. And so some of these things are the, the factors that play a part in our lack of going to get mental health care. But the reason why this is important is when we're talking about this particular issue of sexual abuse, one of the common themes that comes up in the community is the lack of discussion of the issue. So we sweep it under the rug or act as if it did not occur. And we believe that by not addressing it, by not talking about it out of sight, out of mind, it does not have an impact. And the reality is that's just not true. If we look at R. Kelly's history that was put in the docu-series, they chronicled that in his childhood, he was sexually abused between the ages of seven and 14. So this shows you that not, an, not a justification for his behavior, not necessarily trying to mitigate what he did, but just trying to give an explanation of how untreated and unhealed wounds can fester and lead to something that is very undesirable later on in life. I often equate it with putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs surgery. All that's going to happen is that wound is going to get infected and it's going to get worse and worse and worse until, excuse me, the aftermath of that is something that is gonna be very unpleasant. And unfortunately, we're seeing that with this R. Kelly case. I wanna get a little bit more into the things that we don't address those secrets that we keep, because I want to talk about how that can impact us in later in life. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the podcast. So in the last segment, I gave you some statistics that apply to the African-American community, um, our demographic and specifically to our mental health seeking behaviors. And so I wanted to kind of piggyback off of that in this next segment and talk about the issue of secrets that are kept in the community. Um, this particular issue of sexual abuse is very taboo. It's not one to talk about. I mean, let's be honest, it's very uncomfortable, but despite the discomfort it's something that needs to be addressed, but there is a pattern pervasively 
within the African-American community of not talking about things that happen, having secrets and keeping an image of what we believe people expect to see or is favorable for people to see of our family, of ourselves, etc. But this image that we're maintaining is killing us and destroying us as a community and individually. And so I wanted to talk about this because I gave the analogy in the last segment of putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs surgery. And I feel like this is one of those wounds that needs skilled surgery. A surgeon is skilled. They know what to do to go in to take out the things that should not be there that are going to be harmful, that could possibly cause death or, you know, maybe something like infection that could lead to death. But they're skilled at taking those things out in order to allow the body to heal. So it's cutting, but cutting with a purpose because that cutting is going to allow the healing to begin. When we don't address issues like childhood sexual abuse or domestic violence or childhood physical abuse, it's not gonna go away. The psyche is not designed that way, it's still there. And just looking at R. Kelly's own story and background, we can see how his childhood abuse led to who he became. Now, there were some other factors that I found interesting coupled with his sexual abuse that he admitted happened between the ages of seven and 14. It has been disclosed in the docu-series as well as in other news articles and interviews that he has had a challenge with reading since he was very young and he was bullied and teased because of that, where he was very introverted, he would cry constantly, and it caused him not to seek to interact on a social level. That coupled with the abuse that he suffered, I believe was the perfect storm of life events that caused him, on, that put him on the path that he became on or what we believe him to be on. Again, these are all allegations. He has not been convicted of this. And so we have to continue to say that. But those things are important to look at because he's not the only young black boy that was abused. There's so many other kids that are abused and their stories are either never believed or they don't get the help that they need. And that's the reason why help seeking behavior needed to be analyzed. We can't continue to act as if these things don't occur. We believe, and when I say we, a collective we as a community, that by not talking about it and repressing it, it goes away. The psyche says, no, that's not how this works. What happens is if you don't deal with it, I'm going to keep coming up at the most inopportune times when I'm triggered or reminded of that experience that I never had the opportunity to deal with and to allow to heal. He never had the opportunity to deal with that situation, to allow himself to heal from it. From what I can see, it doesn't seem like he sought any help and a wide variety of reasons are probably there to explain why people in the community don't seek the help. A lot of times the kids don't know how to verbalize what's going on and the parents don't know how to read the signals that they're trying to give of what's going on with them. Another explanation could be sometimes the parents just don't believe the kids when they're disclosing what happened. And usually in cases where there's abuse like this, the abuse occurs from someone that is familiar with the child, a babysitter, a family member, a neighbor. It's someone that they know personally and very rarely is it a stranger. And so 
the trust has been violated and then having to disclose to your parent that their trust was broken in the most vile way by this particular person, it's hard for a parent to accept that a lot of times. And so there are times where the parents will not believe it. They'll accuse the child of lying. And again, the guilt as a parent of not protecting your child from that, um, dealing with, you know, I can't believe that I would have a person around my child that would do something like this to them. There's a variety of feelings and emotions that goes with that. Regardless of why, we're not dealing with the situation and the situation needs to be dealt with. And I feel like R. Kelly is the perfect case study for just something like this and the cultural mores that we have in our community where we don't deal with stuff and we need to because the reality is not dealing with it allows it to fester and become social behaviors that are not acceptable, things that we look at and frown upon, symptoms that can lead to our, our downfall and spiraling out of control and things that are just not desirable. And so what we need to do is start to do self-examination as a community. Ask questions. Why are we making it so difficult for a child that's abused to come forward, disclose what happened to them? And then why are we not getting the help that they need? Is it that we don't know how to access the resources? Are we overwhelmed ourselves as a parent or caregiver? And we also need assistance to get through this transition. Maybe I should be looking for, you know, care for my child and myself as we transition through this issue. What questions do we need to ask to put us on the path to make ourselves better holistically? Not just going to the doctor, the medical doctor for your physical health, your checkups, your annual physicals, but what are we doing to make sure that our mental health is intact so that we can live the best versions of our life that we can? And so that's the questions that we need to start asking. And what I wanna do in the next segment is start talking about things that you can identify where if your child doesn't actually tell you verbally, this happened to me, that you can see things that are happening that'll hopefully tip you off to investigate further and make sure that what you think could possibly be happening either happened or didn't, but at least take steps to look into what is going on with your child. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the podcast. So as we closed in the last segment, I told you for this segment, I would give you some ways to identify some behaviors that may actually be a indicator or um, a way for you to see that something could be going on with your child. Um, if you're worried, you might want to start not only looking for yourself, but talk to friends, family members, the school counselor, or anyone that's around the teacher who's around your child to see if they're seeing um, the same patterns and changes that you're seeing. Um, here are some of the behaviors that you should look at that could possibly be signs that you might need to take your child in for an evaluation. This is for younger children. There could be a marked fall in their school performance. So that just means simply they were performing at level or above grade level or, or, or above um, average. And then all of a sudden there's a dramatic drop in their performance. Their poor grades in school could be there and they could still be trying extremely hard 
to do well with their schoolwork, but it's not translating to their grades. They could be severely worried or anxious. And this could be shown by regular refusal for them to go to school, go to sleep or take part in activities that are normal for their age. Frequent physical complaints, so complaining of stomach aches, headaches, arm hurts, things of that nature that they've never complained about before. Hyperactivity, which includes fidgeting, constant movement beyond regular playing with or without, difficulty paying attention, persistent nightmares, um, persistent disobedience or aggression, and provocative opposition to authority figures. There could be frequent unexplainable temper tantrums and threats to harm or kill themselves. So that is for younger children. For pre-adolescent and adolescents, here are some things to look for. Marked decline in school performance, inability to cope with problems and daily activities, marked changes in their sleeping and or eating habits, extreme difficulties in concentrating that get in the way at school or at home. They could be sexually acting out, depression shown by sustained prolonged negative mood or attitude. And that could also be coupled with a poor appetite, difficulty sleeping, thoughts of death. There could be severe mood swings, strong worry and anxiety. They could be now using and dabbling with alcohol and our drugs repeatedly, an intense fear of becoming obese, but it does not correlate to their actual body weight, which will provoke excessive dieting, throwing up or using laxative to lose weight, persistent nightmares, threats of self-harm or harm to others, self-injury or self-destructive behaviors, frequent outburst or anger aggression, repeated threats to run away, aggressive or non-aggressive consistent violation of rights of others, opposition to authority, truancy, theft or vandalism, and then the final strange thoughts, beliefs, feelings or unusual behaviors. If any of these things um, become a pattern that you see with your children and it persists over an extended period of time, especially if you feel like your, your child's life is threatened or you should be concerned about it, you might want to take them and get a consultation with a child or adolescent um, therapist. It can be a psychiatrist, psychologist, or any other trained mental health professional, but don't ignore it. Don't try to pass it off as them just being um, a typical child or them being a bad kid and picking up bad behaviors from friends at school. These things are a pattern that we have found that kids display that are indicators that something has happened to them. And so it's better to be safe than sorry. This is not one of those things where you want to have after the fact and have hindsight where you say, I wish I would have done. I'd rather you overreact and possibly try to do something to help the child than to discover that something occurred and you didn't act to try to get them the help that they needed. So those are some things to look for. Make sure that you're allowing the child to have open, open and honest conversation with you. Allow yourself to be the safe space for them to disclose what's going on with them. If you don't feel like you can handle the conversation, bring in a resource for yourself that can be there to support you as you talk to your child about what could possibly have happened to them. But please, please don't ignore it because ignoring it could lead to situations like what we have with R. Kelly.
Welcome back to the podcast. In the last segment, I gave you some signs to look for um, to identify if there is possibly something that you needed to investigate further with your child. In this small segment, I wanted to give some ways to figure out how to get connected to resources. Um, A lot of times as parents, it's very overwhelming trying to figure out how do I start the process of getting my child help when something like this has happened and they need to have their mental health evaluated as well as treated. Um, Going through the phone book, obviously, we don't have yellow pages anymore, um, but just going through a directory of names and resources is probably not the best way to approach this. Um, The best way to do this is through referrals. And I wanna give you some places that you can go to get referred for um, further assistance when it comes to issues like this. Um, A good place to go, obviously, is friends and family members. If your friends or family trust their providers, that's a good starting point. Um, Your child's school counselor obviously is a mental health professional, so they could probably connect you with someone. Your child's pediatrician or the family physician could be very helpful as a resource to get you connected with a mental health provider. Other places that you can look are your employee assistance program. If your company has an EAP, they have a wide variety of services that are provided to you as an employee. One of them is mental health services. So they might also be able to help you get referred to the proper clinician that could help you for this particular issue. Other places to look are your local medical society, local psychiatric association, Um, or your local psychological association. Look at your local and county mental health departments and associations, local hospitals or medical centers that have psychological or psychiatric services, um, the Department of Psychiatry or Psychology in your nearby medical school um, or or university. Um, Look at national advocacy organizations, um, such as the Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health, the National Mental Health Association, and then also national professional organizations such as the American Psychological Association, of which I am a member, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychology. There are such a, there's such a huge variety of mental health practitioners that can be very confusing, um, but just know that there are a wide variety of people that are considered therapists or clinicians when it comes to mental health and there's no right or wrong it's about finding what works for you i always say the difference between the providers besides if they have some type of specialization is their personality Um, how we're, we're educated the information we learn is the same but the personality makes a difference i say make sure you find a person that you connect with on a personal personable level on a personal level as well as your child because if you're comfortable with them, then you'll be able to go through the process, especially when it gets very hard. Um, But make sure that you don't take it lightly if you think that there is help needed for your child. And also make sure you get help for yourself as a caregiver. They're often the last ones to make sure they're okay. So as you're out there looking for resources for your child to get them help, make sure that you also look for resources for yourself because this will also make sure that you can be prepared to care for the child and tend to the child's needs as they go through 
the different transitions that come with this particular issue. So hopefully some of these resources are, are beneficial or some of these tips are beneficial to help you get connected to resources. In the closeout segment, we're gonna just close this topic out and hopefully something that was said um, will be resources or information that you can use. Be back in just a second. Welcome back to the closing of the podcast. I hope something that was said um, was beneficial, but I just want to recap a couple of things. Um, Remember, you can't sweep things under the rug and think that they're never going to impact you at all because unfortunately the way our psyche is set up, those things never go away. We will be impacted in some kind of way um, throughout the life, whether we do it voluntarily or not. At least if we choose to address the issues, choose to address the situations and circumstances that have happened to us, we can take control of healing from that particular thing. When we ignore it, we turn into our Kellys. We create our Kellys. And that is not our desire. We want to create whole and healthy people and hopefully push them out into the world so that they can live their best life. So my encouragement to you and hopefully from this besides the practical um, points of where to get help and how to identify if help is needed to encourage you to do some self-examination of yourself. Is there something in your past um, that you have tried to repress? Is there something that you tried to act like never occurred? Do you need to have a conversation with your family about something that happened to you when you were a child and didn't disclose it because you didn't think anyone would believe you? This is the time to start to heal those wounds. It's never too late. I feel like as long as you're still breathing, you have the opportunity to do something to be better and a better version of yourself. So in closing, um, please take care of yourself, love yourself, and make sure you love the others around you. Until next week, I'm Dr. Malika.